These are the voyages of the starship Therapies. Its continuing mission, to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. is something vital that I must speak to you about. Yes, sir. I am here and ready to listen. <clears throat> I was... What was that? I was wrong. And when a captain is wrong, they admit it. Which thing are you talking about? Well, I've only been wrong the one time, so... Apologies, sir. What one singular thing were you wrong about? <sighs> Rick and Morty is a good show. I'm sorry I doubted you. Oh. Huh. That's not what I was expecting. But thank you for sharing that, sir. Like I said, I've only been wrong the one time. Indeed, sir. Shall we start the show? With my one mistake off my chest, <laughs> I'm ready to take on the multiverse. <laughs> Hi, friends at home. I'm Justine Maston, LMFT, Yogini, writer, and captain of this particular ship. Welcome aboard. And I'm Larissa Garski, LMFT, writer, researcher, Spockian first officer. And today... I am right. Just a reminder to the listeners at home that just because we are therapists does not mean that we are your therapists. Unless, of course, we are your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. my friend. That was hard to admit. Mm -hmm. and, I... and what was even harder was, was watching Rick and Morty and realizing my wrongness in the moment. <laughs> I mean, this is really funny because I very much had given up on Rick and Morty. Like, that ship had sailed <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> that, like, one night when you told me you were watching it, I, like, thought it was a joke. Like, I didn't. It was, like... <laughs> I I was just fucking with you. <laughs> I did. Or, like, maybe it was an accident or, like, something had happened. <laughs> <laughs> My finger slipped and we wound up on the cartoon network. Yep. And you were just like, well, it's so late and my hands are so tired. <laughs> because of all the hand magic you'd done earlier that day. <laughs> Um, but then you kept watching. Mm-hmm. I did. I mm -hmm. did. Yeah, I um 
I saw that there was a panel coming up. I've been doing lots of uh, Wizard World convention panels with our psych geek friends. And the Rick and Morty was coming up. And I was like, well, you know, I, I, saw, I saw Pickle Rick. I, I, Pickle Rick was okay. Let's it was. I it. mean, I think those were your exact words all those years ago. You were like, this was okay. <laughs> it's like, I like the homage <laughs> to Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you sure did. Oh, yeah. Did we cover that in season one of this podcast? I wonder if we did, because I think the only way that I, I sort of like conned you into watching that was I think that was part of like I remember we did our Christmas special. Yeah, it was. It was... Uh huh. Uh huh. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you were like, it it is basically Die Hard with a pickle, <laughs> and there's this part where they go see a family therapist, and I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then you watched watch it and that. midway through. You texted and you were like, this is indeed Die Hard, and I was like, see. And you were like, uh-huh, <laughs> okay, yeah, uh huh. It's not Die Hard though, and I was like, no, it's an homage. <laughs> but yeah because like pickle rick just like didn't do it for, i mean like you enjoyed it it was okay but like it mm-hmm. didn't light any spark or certainly a flame um i was like okay well this is this is done this is just not going to be one of those things that justine ever watches well and to be fair to me um it's <laughs> true it's important to be fair to yourself <laughs> and to your friends <laughs> um I mean, Rick and Morty had been such a phenomenon that at conventions, it was just it was everywhere. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like, not to be a hipster, like, um, it does bug me when something is so big and so much, you know, sure. like, it kind of how, how many, right, like, there's so many jokers, and there's so many Deadpools. And then that one sure. year at conventions, it was like, there were so many pickle ricks. Yeah. But I was just like, I don't, I don't know. And like some of, I, I am not dissing the whole Rick and Morty fandom. That is not what I'm doing. But no. some of the folks in that fandom, like when they released the Szechuan sauce at McDonald's oh. and how that caused like riots and shit. Yeah, I am. I had very much put that event away. <laughs> Though I do not have a teenage brain. Clearly, I had walled that off. and this event will not remain Uh and like i really want to be careful about what i'm about to say next because like i'm i know that like many people listen to the show know that i'm a i'm a big marvel fan i also like dc Mm -hmm. but like the comics that i grew up with were definitely marvel um Mm -hmm. i have like a similar sort of like nervousness around parts of the dc fandom that it sounds like Mm -hmm. you did with the Rick and Morty fandom, that, like, all fandoms can get volatile about different things at different times. Mm -hmm. But to me, at certain points, it has seemed like there was such a high degree of volatility Mm -hmm. that it made me be like, maybe I need to take a, a, a step back. Or five steps back, which is part of why I haven't watched the Snyder Cut. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, mm, we can talk about that another time. Fair <clears throat> Since enough. I have now seen both the Whedon version and the Snyder Cut, you which I did sure for have. a Wizard World <laughs> for a Wizard World panel. I feel like what this really says to me is how much you are missing conventions and panels because it's just motivating <laughs> you to engage with all these different kinds of fandom that, like, 
very much left to your own devices you would not necessarily engage with. Like, I don't, I don't no, know it's... if, like, in the alternate reality of this timeline, if you mm-hmm. would have sat down and been like, you know what? Four hours. Let's do it, Zack Snyder. No, I definitely wouldn't have. I, it really, it speaks to how much I miss conventions and how much I just really enjoy hanging out with our psych geek friends and mm-hmm. talking about the psychology of various band, <laughs> you know, stuff. Yes, yes. That, that even if I am not, like, in the fandom, I'm like, I want to hang out and talk to you guys, so I guess I'm going to watch this. Which I did tell uh, Travis Langley, mm-hmm. our, our fearless leader of the Psych Geek books, that watching an entire day of Justice League gave me nightmares. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. not about what you would think. I dreamt I was profoundly depressed. Well, yeah. Like, profoundly depressed. Yeah, because you were hanging out in a psyche that is struggles with profound depression. <laughs> you know? Like, there's lots of ways to yep. experience art, and we talk about that on this podcast. One of the ways to experience mm-hmm. it is that, like, the art, especially when an art is coming from a very specific creative team... Mm-hmm. you you're not just hanging out and, and like art you also can like really hang out with an with another's human's parts yeah and yeah we did we dipped the ladle into joseph campbell's soup of the unconscious well and in this instance it was very much like Zack snyder's part of the unconscious collective unconscious <laughs> this is where Zack and his friends spend a lot of time and you were like wow it's very dark here yeah it's like why and what's uh, there? I'm not spoiling anything for you because I know that you would no. not love this anyway. But there, there's a post-credit, like post-apocalyptic scene with the Joker. Oh God! And I was like, Oh God, I hate everything. <laughs> I thought also this was already four hours. <laughs> Who was screaming for a post-credit scene? Here's the thing, though: some folks really were, and oh. I am so glad that they that they got that post-credit scene. Right. If I'm that not was here to screaming, take that away from you. No, if that sparked joy for you, I'm thrilled for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but circling back, yes, I have engaged <laughs> in a lot of fandom that I typically would not. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I told my partner, we're both sitting on the couch, and he was like, is there anything you want to watch? Or he started saying, is there anything you need to watch? <laughs> because he knows. He knows what's happening Because here. he knows. Um and I was like, how would you feel about watching Rick and Morty? And he mm. was like, yeah, that sounds, sounds good to me. And what what was just delightful is that he really seems to like it. Aww. And it's so rare for us both to like something. Mm-hmm. So it's been fun. He's watched most of all oh, the seasons delightful. with me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just been really delightful. What parts of Rick and Morty does he really enjoy? Um, that's a good question. I don't think he is as into, like, some of the more nuanced family therapy things that I am. I mean, that's fair. Um, you know, but the, the stuff that really gets a laugh out of him is, uh, you know, the more ridiculous mm-hmm. things. Um, like, we just, uh, in preparation for this pod, we just rewatched The highlight um, reel. The... <clears throat> we we just rewatched the season one finale. Can you remind me what was that? That wasn't Bird Person, was it? 
That's the first. That's the first appearance of Bird Person. Oh yeah. Yeah. Poor one, poor one and, for Bird Person. Yeah. Oh, later Phoenix Person. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and <laughs> and yeah, Eli enjoyed the, you know, some of the Bird Person stuff, and you know, Squanch and uh, oh. a a Bradolph Linkler. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, season one had a lot of great moments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and he loves Tiny Rick. Yeah. I mean, Tiny Rick is great. Great, and... I really appreciate how in Rick and Morty, like, they they so fully commit to something, even if it's ridiculous or awful mm-hmm. or awkward or all of those things. Mm-hmm. And then by committing to it somehow finds... Like, new sort of, like, nooks and crannies of the thing. Like, I don't know, like, angsty teen music, right? Like, angsty, like teen music oh, is yeah. often, like, just describing just all kinds of emotional torture. And as teenagers, mm-hmm. and sometimes as adults, but we're focusing on teens right now because Tiny Rick is a teen. As teenagers, mm-hmm. like, you are so attracted to anything that has strong emotional resonancy. Oh, yeah. Well, you love those big feelings, even though you kind of love to hate those big feelings. Yeah, because, like, when you become a teen, you, like, level up in terms of, like, your access to Mm -hmm. certain parts of the emotional spectrum. So it all just feels, like, new and exciting, even the awful bits. Um, But, yeah, I really love the way that episode just, like, really goes deep on this idea of, like, teen songs are terrible and teen (laughs) pop stars are miserable. Mm-hmm. And you can feel their misery in their lyrics in the same way that you can feel <laughs> Tiny Rick's misery. Because inside of mm-hmm. Tiny Rick is the adult part that's been walled off and wants to get out and is dying in a vat in the garage. Yeah. Oh, and I think this is so this is what I didn't realize about Rick and Morty mm-hmm. was the depth of it. Yeah. Because, again, so often my exposure to it was at conventions and it was just like, People dressed up like Pickle Rick, screaming Pickle Rick. And I was like, okay. Um, and, you know, without the... <laughs> I just like it made, gave me a flash of, I think it was New York Comic Con, that we had like mm-hmm. run into our like probably seventh Pickle Rick. And I just kept, I was like delighted each and every time. <laughs> <laughs> and I just had this memory of your face and you were just so disgusted and done. She's like another fucking pickle, Rick. Well, and to, for, for friends at home, I want you to. I'm not hating on your fandom. No, no, it's no, no, no. Absolutely, I'm absolutely not. And it's just when you're at a con, mm-hmm. it, and I I pick on a little bit the the Jokers and the Deadpool's because each of like I'm so glad that you are getting some part of you, some need met. Mm-hmm. And also, I I can't engage with all of you at the level you are trying to engage with me. <laughs> That's a great point. Because <laughs> it's, a, it's a very specific kind of energy. And at conventions, mm-hmm. everything is kind of like turned up to 11. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, I, I'm so glad that you are mm-hmm. getting this need met. But... I like I okay. You're dancing down the stairs, right? That's well, much joy for you. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but when it's the 25th dancing down the stairs, and you just want to get down the stairs to the bathroom, 
Right. Right. Exactly. It's a lot. I also have a need that has to be met. Right. Right. And these needs are in conflict. This is also really making me think of something you and I talked about during the heart of the pandemic, which was really, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like 14 months long. Um, But it was probably during the first quarter of the pandemic that I remember (laughs) you and I talking a lot about how one of the very challenging things about being a therapist during that time is that Mm-hmm. In the before times, there was right. variety of presentation. Mm-hmm. You know, not only yeah. were there like different like m- mental health issues that folks were struggling with, mm-hmm. but there was different kinds of emotions, a different intensity about different events. Mm-hmm. Sure, different and different different contexts, different contexts, different details, and mm-hmm. that really helps when you're a therapist mm-hmm. because you don't get burnt right. out in any one area. But the story of the pandemic is like it it was it was pickle rick all day every day <laughs> sometimes for 7 or 8 hours the, with the same level of intensity the same level of intensity <laughs> saying the sa- saying pickle rick over and over and over, over and over and like it it and to each individual pickle rick uh-huh. this was their truth and as a therapist, right. like, it's our job to, like, meet them where they're at and, like, mm-hmm. honor and validate and support. And it's just, like, you know, when you're when it's Thursday. Oh, Thursday's the worst. When it's 5 o'clock on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you know, open your laptop screen and log on to that call and, and, it's, and it's Pickle Rick. It's just... I think we both found new levels of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. that, that's that's so real, and I I love that framing <laughs> because it does it. It's it's a kind of emotional exhaustion that I feel after the fifteenth Deadpool at a convention. I'm like, oh, you're just you're just asking a lot. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you are inviting me to meet you in this emotional space and i don't have it right and it's it is so much about getting those external reactions and so then like what'll happen is that if when deadpool senses that you're not responding to them oh they just they the just worst. they just turn it up they do turn it up you know because they're looking they're looking for that exchange mm-hmm. in real time yeah and, and right? it's usually at one of those times that we will look at each other and be like, let's go home to our hotel room and order enough takeout for 20 humans. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll put it in the fridge and pretend we're going to eat it later. <laughs> I feel like one time we ordered, <laughs> we must have ordered falafel and we got like, we kept getting more hummus. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is, you know, you're supposed to be the logical one. It's true. But I feel like when it comes to ordering dinner, I'll be like, oh, that seems like too much food. And you're like, order it. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> like, I don't think we need appetizers. We've got all this. Get it. I'm like, Get it now. <laughs> no, that was the night where I don't think you ever made it to your entree. <laughs> I was like, I I can't. I just can't. 
And the hotel so room full. just smell, smelled of hummus and chickpeas for the next two days. <laughs> oh, that poor cleaning Uh-oh. person probably came in and was like, what happened in here? Why? Did they have some sort of like, I don't know. It was, it was like an after A Mediterranean bacchanal. Oh, I do miss conventions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. Hotel room sheets. Watching yes. Netflix. Mm-hmm. Watching one more episode and then being so tired in the morning. Mm-hmm. Just one more. Just one more episode. Or the, That's right. The time uh, we, we went out to an actual party. And God, afterwards, right. I was I was like, we're going to watch what we do in the shadows because you've never <laughs> seen it. And you fell asleep in like the first 30 seconds. I did. I made it all the way to the one line that I really wanted to get to, which is we're werewolves, not swearwolves. <laughs> and I was like, that's so funny. It's Murray. And you were like, Murray? And I was like, Murray. And that's the last thing I remember. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Murray. I, I, I've seen, like, five episodes of Flight of the Concord. I mean, it's one of those shows where, like, when you go back and rewatch it, it was so of its time and place that mm-hmm. there's a lot to be offended uh, by mm. it now. So I just go mm-hmm. on YouTube and do, like, highlight clip reels. Sure. No, that's a great that's a great way to keep the stuff you love. That's right. Without having to try and make sense of the rest. Mm. What a lovely way of putting that. Yeah. Which, you know, that's therapeutic fan fiction action right there that's right just like removing all the awful things they said to Kristen Shaw. oh i don't want to i don't want to know no you don't have to uh, but circling back to <clears throat> to rick and morty the, the titular app of the day mm-hmm. um i just i it is amazing to me how much family dynamic shit Yes. They can fit in this show mm-hmm. and and have it be not just palatable to a mainstream audience, but like really enjoyable to a mainstream audience. And I it does seem like mm-hmm. from like some of the corners of the Rick and Morty fandom I've been exposed to. Sure. That that it just they very much do fanfic on it and don't think too deeply about it. Oh. You know. Mm, that kind of makes me sad because that's that's where I want people to like deep dive. Yeah, it. Did, I mean, and I could be wrong, and I'm sure like there are lots I'm of right. folks I'm who sure do like dive some, right I'm into sure it. I'm sure some fans do, but I think you're right that like it's. I mean, it it is a very painful space to be because it's a it is a very mm-hmm. layered, nuanced, and authentic portrayal of a dysfunctional family. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean Rick. Rick is lovable and awful. Yeah, like he is. It was interesting because before our pod, I've like I've seen the show before, but I wanted to go back and just like do some like mm-hmm. highlight reel apps so I could, you know, immerse myself in the details. Mm-hmm. And like the finale to season four. Oh man, yeah. He at least like to me, I was like, why is Rick being so cuddly? I don't mm-hmm. like this cuddlier dad-daughter thing. Mm-hmm. I want my Rick to just be a bad dad. That's who he is. <laughs> I'm not looking for us to, like, you know, have some sort of, like, third act, and then he becomes a good parent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the show does play with that. And I and I mean, don't quote me on this because I didn't like go back and do a comprehensive rewatch by any means. Mm-hmm. But it feels like season four is trying to like I don't know if soften or find some like kinder parts of Rick in a way that I was like, I don't know. I don't know if this is what I'm looking for in my Rick fanfic. Well, so they they play with softness of Rick throughout. Like <clears throat> even in season one, there are some moments of softness of Rick. And what it brings up for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, season one finale, they wind up watching, you know, they freeze time for everyone else and they like clean the house and watch Titanic. And he says he loves his grand. Um, and what it brings up for me. Yeah. As, as someone who's also a licensed alcohol and drug counselor, is this very much mimics alcoholic families. Well, right. And, and Rick is woo, this man. Yeah. And yeah. his relationship to alcohol. Yeah. He has a, he has a very troubled re- relationship to alcohol. And so often what, what adult children of alcoholics will talk about is how unpredictable yeah. the person in their life was. Mm-hmm. How sometimes they could just be so fun and so great, so loving. And sometimes they could just be so awful. And, and you, you didn't know mm-hmm. which one you were going to get. Yeah. It, it was completely unpredictable. And so in that way, like, damn, Rick and Morty's even got that going. Like, it does. They, you know, they're, they're very much playing with that alcoholic household. Mm idea like which rick is it (laughs) this is making me think of a conversation i recently had with a colleague about how like different different ways to talk about um challenging parental dynamics especially with kids Mm -hmm. and how to do it in a way that like isn't overwhelming to them because they're a kid Mm -hmm. um and so they this colleague put forth this idea of like porcupine parents Oh, sure. And she was like, you know, like some parents are like, they're like a puppy or a kitty. And the puppy's like, hey, I want mm-hmm. like come play with me. Let's go play ball. Or the cat like wants to like come and like sit on your lap and it's nice and you can be mm-hmm. cuddly and warm. But some parents are porcupine parents and mm-hmm. they do want to be close to you sometimes. But when mm-hmm. they go- try to get close, and if you try to meet them, mm-hmm. you're going to get hurt because they're covered in quills. And it's so funny that you're bringing this up because I'm literally reaching around my computer and grabbing a little cartoon from The New Yorker that my parents used to have on their fridge. Oh, God. One of the, one of the few things I saved um, from their home. It's friends at home. It is a, a squirrel and a bunny and a porcupine hanging out in the woods and the bunny is saying to the squirrel, who looks very sad, he's a porcupine and he's prickly. I accept that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot happening in that porcupine mug. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I suppose what's striking me right now is, at least in that cartoon, they all look like they're adult woodland animals. And, mm, you know, adults yeah, can fair. consent to things that kids can't. Mm. 
Mm. Oh, that's so true. And like even Morty and Summer, who in the show are both teens, um, teenagers like to think that they have reached the age of total consent (laughs) where they can make all kinds of choices and they're ready. And the reality is that, no, they're they're not ready. No. And I mean, again, such a such a great and awful Mm -hmm. mirror of the yeah. of the alcoholic family which and i want to give voice to the fact that like i don't i don't love labeling people as things such as labeling someone as an alcoholic um i'm using that language right now because it's you know a colloquialism it is and it's still very uh, commonly used in our field yeah. and beyond um but i don't i mean i don't love that language that we we can get into that another time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, f- families who experience certain dynamics due to the presence of alcohol. Yeah. Um, which just gets kind of wordy. <laughs> it's true. Like a short version might be like families mm-hmm. in a chronic relationship with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, yeah. And I would go to say a a chronically troublesome dangerous yes i but i guess like the other piece i'd i would argue yes i would i would argue this is that mm-hmm. like if you're if a family has a chronic relationship with alcohol it's dangerous mm, sure there are no chronic relief familiar relationships with alcohol they're like hey we're just like you know the new sexier jewel oh <laughs> <laughs> i mean there are people who believe that for sure absolutely oh. um and yeah. there are there compo- are there like elements or moments in that mm-hmm. family's long arc of of communal history together that are like fun and a good time sure mm-hmm. just like you're pointing out that like there are fun good times in Rick and Morty mm-hmm. both in the the dynamic yeah. of these two characters and then the show as a whole mm-hmm. but because alcohol's involved chronically mm-hmm. It is, there is always going to be chaos and there all, there's always going to be intermixed, really unhealthy dynamics. Right. And that's, that's kind of where I was headed before I derailed myself to do some. <laughs> Apologies. Some about, let's, let's get about, back on that rail. No, it's, I, I'm the one, I derailed myself. <laughs> um, but it makes so much sense why, hmm. you know, there there's the uh the tension yeah. between between Rick and daughter and Morty yeah because you know the running joke is Rick abandoned the family and like it's not a joke he <laughs> in this right because he did because he did uh-huh <laughs> He always came back. He did. But coming back doesn't negate abandonment. No, and like let's be real, when when somebody has another part of their life that they are this committed to, which mm-hmm. I mean is both alcohol and science. Yes. There is a a benign neglect. Oh, right. Where, yeah, absolutely. You know. Uh and I'm 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 saying it's benign because we we do get some flashbacks where it seemed like Rick cared about his family. 
Well, caring doesn't mean that you, I guess like one doesn't, one doesn't preclude the other. And I suppose mm-hmm. I, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong on this. When I think about benign neglect, I think often we're trying to give voice to this person isn't doing it on purpose. Right. Mm-hmm. But the reality is Rick is absolutely doing it on purpose. And he knows that. He just doesn't always like to sit with that. Mm. You think he knew in the beginning? Yeah. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. No. I, I don't know. And the reason I'm saying that is I feel like... Um, and, you know, I've only seen the one seasons one through four one time, except for the couple eps I rewatched. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like there was a flashback where he was like really trying to be present. Sure. But he but that's that's consistent with what Rick does. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he really tries. Sometimes he really doesn't. Like, in some ways, this is reminding me of the of Pickle Rick. <laughs> and the family therapy app, where the family therapist is trying to make the point that what Rick doesn't want to do, what he's mm-hmm. almost always fighting against, is sustainability and consistency. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to do the daily work of emotional maintenance, which is what it takes to maintain healthy connections with others. He just, he doesn't like that work. Yeah. What do we know about his parents? Do we know anything about his parents? Uh, so far, I don't think we know much, if at all, about his parents. Yeah. I mean, this, this is such like a family therapist question to ask, right? <laughs> Can we draw a genogram? Thinking of Bowen. <laughs> Bowen's like, let's bring everyone in. Every generational line. <laughs> How did we get here? How did this happen? Right. And, oh, goodness. How are, t- how are Morty's children going to show up in the world? Well, and it's interesting to think, like, how did we get here? Because one of the things that struck me this time around when I was doing some rewatches earlier today mm-hmm. um, is I was thinking about science and modernity and rationalization and realism mm-hmm. and basically the dialectic of enlightenment, which is... <laughs> From sure. the Frankfurt School you know, Friends. It's a Sunday morning. <laughs> As we're recording this, Box got a cup of coffee and is like, hmm, modernity. <laughs> the funny thing is that all of that is totally true. I had the coffee in my baby Yoda mug that one of my amazing supervisees recently gifted to me. <laughs> so I'm sitting there sipping my coffee out of my baby Yoda mug being like, huh. How is Rick a mediation on modernity and the pitfalls (laughs) of modernity and science in particular? Because part Mm. of how you do science is by torturing other life to learn about it. Which is awful. Like, I'm, it's awful. It's terrible. Friends at home, if you're like, I don't want to stay on this train, you can get off at this station. The bell is ringing. (laughs) You know, so you can get off, go to the general store, we'll loop back around. (laughs) So now that we've given folks a chance to get off if they want to get off, I'm going to go back to what I was saying, which is that science is based on getting information from other life by torturing it. 
whether it's plant life or animal life. And I'm not saying this as a way to be like bad science or bad scientists. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm inviting us to sit with this as an uncomfortable truth. As a person who frankly has benefited enormously from science, like if I was born at any other time in human civilization and like speaking from the past, I'd be dead. Mm -hmm. Like I would never, I would not have made it to 35. Frankly, I probably wouldn't have made it to adulthood because it takes a lot of modern medical marvels mm. to keep this system running. Oof. And this system is running because of all kinds of experiments that we've done on, on animals. Oh, God, this is awful. Why? Why did you and your baby Yoda mug? Sounds <laughs> <laughs> fair. I want to be clear to the folks at home that, like, I wasn't, like, channeling my own inner baby Yoda when I was having this discussion. I had sent my inner baby Yoda off to, like, go to the fair and, and have a lollipop. Um, like, <laughs> she doesn't need to sit with us. This is for mm -hmm. adult grown Yoda. <laughs> um, Why did I go there? I went there because... I think that part of what is broken about Rick is a result mm. of this kind of science that we've done. Because in order to be a scientist who's gaining knowledge by torturing other life, mm. you, you start to wall off your feelings as a way to cope. So you don't want to look at the rabbit or the dog oh. or the mouse or the chimpanzee as an, an emotional sentient being. Because how are you going to inject them with cancer? Oh, my, my very squishy heart is so sad right now. I'm, I'm very sad. I promise we're going to, we're going to like, we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to move through this. We're going to keep moving through this. No, but th I mean, I'm, a part of me is glad you brought this up. Not the entire thing. <laughs> Um, it's totally but fair. I, but I do remember a time when I was very interested in the hard science of psychology. Mm -hmm. um, and a, a friend of mine who was studying to be a veterinarian, she's now been a veterinarian for many years, mm -hmm. uh, was talking about working in the lat rab, rat lab. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um. And I was just like, tell me all about the rat lab. What do you yeah. do at the rat lab? And like, I, I was completely devoid of like, not that I became a sociopath, but no. it just, I was very much like, wow, how fascinating. What are you doing? What are you learning? Mm -hmm. And uh, she did wind up rescuing a rat from the lab, Aww. which, which you're not supposed to do, but, um, yeah, I, I got to name him, and I named him uh, Murray. Murray Ratskowitz. <laughs> oh, that's so lovely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know if it was until I like met Murray in person. Yeah. That I was like, "You are a creature." Mm. That and and to be fair, I was a much younger human too. Yeah. probably like 21 um so i was in my own different stage of development but right but I, this makes this does make sense like does 
does Rick see even his family members right. as as parts of this grander experiment? Yeah. And like when he talks in particular about his daughter Beth as a child. Mm-hmm. And let me be clear, like this is very normal. And I would dare say every single caregiver has felt the feeling that like Rick very much gives mm-hmm. voice to, which is like, you were such an irritating child. Oh my God, it was overwhelming. What was I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. But when I pair that with like all of Rick's work as a scientist, I'm like, how many times did the coping strategy you pull for was like, how many times did the coping strategy you reach for match with the coping strategy you used to emotionally disconnect from the animals that you were testing or the other species that you were encountering on intergalactic travel. Mm-hmm. And then you use that to emotionally distance and separate from your tiny human child who learns how to be a human by connecting with you. Mm. Oh, God, Beth's got so much attachment stuff. Gosh, she's got so much. What happened to her mom? Do we know? I forget. <laughs> they don't. I don't think my recollection is they don't talk a lot about Beth's mom. <clears throat> Maybe something yeah, for season I mean, five to dive into. Yeah. But I mean, of course, from from a family systems perspective, mm-hmm. like, of course, she gravitated towards somebody like Jerry, who is just so clingy and all emotion. <laughs> <laughs> And just, like, would do anything for her at any time. Yeah. Um, well, and you know, this makes me think of the codependency episode. They're codependent. Yep. Like, Cherry was never going to leave her. Nope. Never. And I don't think Beth ever had to worry about being so emotionally invested that she would have to face the risk of what would I do if Cherry wasn't around. That was part of why Cherry was so perfect for her. Mm-hmm. Right, she gets to be a complete dick all the time. <laughs> <laughs> He'll never leave. She never has to truly attach to him. No. He will always be there, and she doesn't have to be there for him. That right there, folks, is dysfunctional codependency defined <laughs> by one Captain James T. Kirk with the help of Rick and Morty. <laughs> Right, which it's just wow to me. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, sometimes creators of a piece of media, oh yeah, just do it so right. Mm-hmm. And sadly, it's probably because they've experienced it themselves. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to go down like Dan Dan Harmon bi- biographical lane, but it mm-hmm. seems like Dan's really sat with some things in his life. It seems like it. And he's been pretty open, at least, about his own mental health. Mm-hmm. With his own you addictions know. and things and struggles mm-hmm. with attachment. Right. So it would make sense that he could pull you know. from that place artistically. Right. right. But I mean, it really, it does take skill mm-hmm. to present this in such a way that people who want to dive deep mm-hmm. and and really get in there and you know, go wow. Right, who want to sit there at 11 in the morning with their Baby Yoda coffee mug and be like, oh, modernity, yes. This is a meditation. <laughs> this is a meditation on modernity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
But also, if you're just like, wow, look at this amazing, like, human centipede alien Scorpio thing. Mm-hmm. That's a right, valid you can way do to that take too. it, too. Yeah. 100%. You can do that, too. Well, and there's plenty of stuff in there for the nihilists. Oh, God, yeah. There's uh, so much. Oh, yeah. I thought of you in our talks about nihilism parts. <laughs> I, I have uh, friends at home. I have had many clients over the years first come to see me are nihilists Mm -hmm. Um, i say when they first come to see me because they don't they don't always exit therapy still being nihilists but they do enter therapy (laughs) i wouldn't go so far as to say i feel like this is a very specific niche of yours Mm. that i just feel like folks who are folks who you know want to maybe renegotiate their relationship with their nihilist part they mm-hmm. find they find you. They're like there's They find me. There's the therapist for me. <laughs> and well, I mean to be fair, I could think of some therapists who would probably be freaked the fuck out if somebody came in and said I'm a nihilist and I was like, <laughs> you know, someone comes in and says they're a nihilist. I'm like, "Oh, yeah. Sure. Totally. Uh-huh. Yeah. The world's a dark and scary I, place. Night is dark and full totally. of terrors. I got you." <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Word. Uh, (laughs) yes i feel like my version of this is existential dread oh i love you get all you get all the the eco freaks right absolutely they're coming in there like they're like valoris have you just ever thought about how impermanent all of this is and i'm like oh yeah all the time (laughs) (laughs) daily daily hourly they're like, but I think this is getting in the way of being alive. And I'm like, oh, yeah, for sure. We we can work on that. <laughs> but like existential dread, like that's that's real. That's a, that's a part of being a being a being around and shambling around this big rock. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I think that's I have I have really, you know, you often talk about what you've gained from me. But what <laughs> I have very much gained from you is is being able to have those ego freak conversations. <laughs> and make meaning right yeah. like the uh the metaphor we've used in the past of like yeah the titanic is sinking mm-hmm. like i in each of our lives each of our individual titanics is sinking that's that's true yeah we don't have a timeline on that but we do know mm-hmm. and what do you know what are you gonna do before the ship goes down right oh well, you're gonna you're gonna run around and scream that the ship's going down or are you gonna play music or hug a loved one or help other people into boats right because the reality is that you know it's gonna take the ship a lot it took hours for the ship to sink mm-hmm. it you, did. you actually do and that's I mean, wow we're really getting down to some like struggle of life shit here right because like mm-hmm. and that's what rick and morty does <laughs> that's what it does right because like you have an awareness that it's finite sometimes you even have a sense of like roughly when it's gonna end Mm-hmm. But you still got time in between. So what are you going to do with that time in between? Mm-hmm. Right. Are you are you gonna like? Are you gonna be in existential dread and say the mm-hmm. ship's going down? The ship's going down. The ship's going down. You can. That's a you, choice you, you can that's, make. You could. But is that what you want to do? Do you want to like try to numb out with alcohol or some other kind mm-hmm. of chemical? I don't remember what the alien chemical was that the kids were trying to microdose on in the season finale of of season four of rick and morty but like that was partially their approach and their own alien ship that was going down 
Mm-hmm. Do you want to do that? Do you want to try and like connect? Do you want to reach out, Mm -hmm. build some meaningful connections, even as you know, they're, they're going to end at some point. Well, and when we talk about our own individual Titanics, Mm -hmm. you know, our own lives, right? Our, Mm -hmm. we're not thinking about the, the greater, you know, world. Right. What, what kind of impact do you want to leave? What's your legacy? Mm Mm-hmm. And that, you know, oftentimes people hear legacy and they think children, but there's all kinds of ways to leave legacy. Yeah. And, you know, I consider that how did, how did we connect with the world? Yeah. Which is usually attachment with other human beings. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, just attachment to other creatures, other life. Mm-hmm. If... Walling yourself off is really safe emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also really fucking lonely. And there's no there's no possibility for legacy. I mean, I think it is, but it's a very it's like a shadow legacy because you do mm-hmm. continue to impact and mm-hmm. cause ripples. But are they ripples of pain and trauma? Sure. No, that's a really good point. Because Rick, I mean, Rick's leaving a legacy. He sure is. And he, and he absolutely seems like he's deeply uncomfortable with how much his behavior impacts others. Like, he really turns to that nihilism coping strategy, like, it's all meaningless, and that's what being smart is, being smart enough to know that, like, none of this matters, and you're in this uncaring universe. But the reality is that, like, he's faced with that, the contradiction of that all the time because the people around him care mm-hmm. very much. And maybe I'm reaching here and I, I'm very aware that I'm contradicting <laughs> where I started with all of this, specifically about <laughs> Rick and the end of season four. Because I was like, I don't know, Rick's getting too cuddly. I don't like that. But now I'm, like, talking myself all the way back around because there's that moment when he's battling the Zeus god alien or whatever. And he talks about how he's like, listen, like I'll leave. I like, that's fine. You and Gaia, who's this planet y'all can like work it out. I just want to keep the city that my daughter and I built. Oh yeah. Cause we had like a good time doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, Oh Rick growth. Who knows if you'll sustain that. Well, and I feel like he's been he's been pretty okay with attaching or bonding around the doing of something. Sure. Which <laughs> I mean, which is really I mean, that's I've seen that in families, especially with with men and families of a certain age. Because the, you know, the social construct when they were coming up was, you know, men don't have big feelings and if they do, they don't show them. And, you know, sure. the, the way we show love is through acts of service. Mm. And so, you know, daughters doing something with dad yeah. is a way to be attached to dad without saying, sure, you know, I mean, he f- I mean, he fights that, too, though, a lot. But I do think I think you're right that that's parts of him are more comfortable attaching mm-hmm. while doing than other parts are. Will he commit to that? Who knows? We're back to like pickle Rick. Rick doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. He like 
regular sustained emotional maintenance working through your stuff. He'd rather nearly die and become a pickle. Historically. Mm. Right. Yeah. Well, drink himself into pickledom. I think you made this exact point when we talked about this episode at this point years ago, but it was true then and it's true now. <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> this is also making me think about a conversation you and I had also at this point years ago around like mm -hmm. project friends. Oh. And you, do you remember you said to me, you were like, I'm like a project friend, Larissa. Like I mm -hmm. do best. I'm able to sustain like regularly the relationships best if there's something mm -hmm. that we're doing together. And I was like, <gasps> I don't, I don't remember us talking about that on the pod, but I, I mean, no, we didn't that is talk about true it on the pod. Me. We talked about it okay. in, re in real life. I should have been clear. Okay. No, we talked about that yeah. in real life. And I was like, this was one of those like, wow, I'm really a Ravenclaw moments that was very revelatory to me and parts of me. <laughs> and I said to you, I was like, I think I'm also a project friend. And you were like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what are we doing right now? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's so true of me. I'm yeah, just, me too. I'm, I'm better able to, not that I can't connect with other humans. It's just Good. when we have a shared goal, mm -hmm. I, I feel, I feel invested. I feel like we're on the same page. Yep. And I mean, that shit's backfired for me in the past. Yeah. Like having project friends. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, the project goes differently than, than intended. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, and, you know, yeah. our project ends. Yeah. And, and what does that mean? Mm hmm. I mean, I don't worry, friends at home. Larissa and I have plenty of. <laughs> we have plenty of projects. We're very invested in this relationship. So much so that it hadn't even occurred to me that someone could be like, oh, my God, are they breaking up? Is this the breakup episode? No, that's not happening. I'm very loyal. Once I bond with someone, I'm like, I'm like, we're in this till one of us dies. <laughs> Yeah, but it is, it's, I mean, and it's funny to think about now, but I, I mean, I can think of this in other parts of my life too. Yeah. You know, where the, the project has really brought people together, like even family illness as a project. Yeah. Like caring for yeah. a sick loved one as a project. Mm -hmm. Or like on a, you know, kind of opposite end of the spectrum, playing games together is another form of having a project. Oh, sure. Like D&D campaigns. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Or like some sort of like co-op video game or all manner of tabletop games. You know, like we do as human beings, we really like doing things with other mm -hmm. beings. Oh, we like co-creating. We do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, the, I, you know what? I like that languaging better. Yeah. Not that I have project friends, but I have co-creation friends. Yeah. And you like to figure out what can we, what can we like mindfully mm -hmm. co-create together? Because we're always co-creating with other beings. Right. But you and I really like it when it's like, oh, let's bring intentionality to it. Mm -hmm. What's this thing that we're going to do? Right. Like, 
And, and well, and it's fun when we come up with a really good idea to be like, oh, write that one down. Mm hmm. It is. Like, oh, that one's going to go in the next book. Or, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, even like co creating beach house vacation fantasies. Oh. No, real estate's real cheap in Honolulu right now. I just, yeah. I'm not retiring yet, friends at home, but. This pandemic really has taken a lot out of me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a Saturday Night Live uh, music video mm -hmm. like a month ago that was all about, you know, once you're in your late 30s, instead of watching porn, <laughs> you right. look up houses you can't afford on Zillow. On Zillow. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. And that is, I mean, I felt very called out. That's <laughs> <laughs> I really loved it was like maybe two thirds of the way in where they're like, and if it's starting, if you're starting to get like too into the fantasy, just call and we'll bring you right back down to reality. <laughs> yeah, you want to go see it? We'll go see it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's 2 a.m. I don't want to do that. I just want to keep looking at ideas. <laughs> I just want to fantasize. I just want to daydream. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such a good way to look at it. Because sometimes I, sometimes I give Eli my partner a hard time because he'll send me these like forty million dollar houses, <laughs> and I'm like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. Because to my mind, like that's not even dreamable. Oh, sure, sure, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Like one point five million dollar house—that's dreamable, maybe. Yeah. Something we do mm -hmm. will get, us we'll get there. picked up. Yeah. yeah. And we could get a $1.5 million house. <clears throat> uh, friends at home, we are not there right now. No. But... No, no, no. <laughs> but I feel like that's dreamable. And $40 million, I'm like, that's just not even dreamable. But I, sure, it's the fantasy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you just, and this can be kind of hard to like check in and do because then it can kind of like kill the vibe of the fantasy. Nothing's going to kill the vibe mm -hmm. of the fantasy faster than being like, just to be clear, this is, we're fantasizing right now, right? You know, that's, <laughs> it's like that scene in Mary Poppins where they're on like the ceiling and then they think about sad things and they immediately go right back down to the ground. Um, but it can be like, it can be good to check in with whomever you're co-creating a fantasy with as like mm -hmm. a pre-conversation of like, this is, that's what this is, right? We're. Imagination yeah. Station is where we're at. Well, there's, um, oh man, uh, we we learned about this in in graduate school for marriage and family therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, something called relationship enhancement therapy. Oh which, God, that's right. Yeah, if I recall, you really despised that portion. Here's what's really funny: I use tools from relationship enhancement therapy all the time. <laughs> In part because one of our, one of the mentors that you and I both had, Phil, he mm -hmm. did that. Like that was so integrated in his couple's therapy approach. Mm -hmm. But in order, in order for me to like do it and not feel bad, I always forget that it's called relationship enhancement training. <laughs> Every single time you say that phrase to me, I, my initial reaction is like, what is that? Did I miss that class? Did I not have to take that credit? And then you'll continue. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This is just the manager I part just don't... always hides this from me. Yep. I don't. I just don't like it. <laughs> I just don't like um, it. But there, there are these different types of talk 
that they mm-hmm. use in relationship enhancement. You're right. It's relationship enhancement training, not relationship enhancement. Because it's very much the idea that, like, the therapist as trainer. Yeah. Um, Didactic which, coach, which is... Eh, yeah, not my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's different ty- types of talk. There's there's search talk right. and authoritarian talk or author- authoritative talk. You know what and, I'm going to do right now? I have this and somewhere. straight talk. <laughs> straight talk. <laughs> which I could never do. But don't. Uh... <laughs> Sure. Yeah. So I I mean, a super concrete example that we used in relationship enhancement training is let's say you want to buy a refrigerator. Oh my god. I think that's why you didn't like this training. I'm sure. Because um, <laughs> you're like modernity, new refrigerators. That's <laughs> <laughs> this emphasis on newness and consumerism. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I love it. You can Keep tap going. on the window and see what's inside the refrigerator. This is the fall <laughs> of humanity. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Bucky and Sam want to buy a refrigerator for their new condo. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they refurbished their boat and now they want a new condo. Aww. And yeah, isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. Um, we need to decide are we just scrolling through best buy just dreaming about refrigerators Mm -hmm. or are we making a plan and choosing straight talk choosing a refrigerator yep because my guess is Mm -hmm. sam wants to dream he wants to scroll and be like "Ooh, what if we got the refrigerator that does the the circular ice cubes <laughs> the ice spheres oh and just imagining bucky's face just being like what the f- no we just want a regular refrigerator <laughs> <laughs> and you know sam's like well but we got to have a really strong one because you have that vibranium arm and sometimes you might accidentally open the fridge with the wrong arm and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know if we get the tap on the glass one you'll probably break the glass and uh, <laughs> so maybe we should be looking at refrigerators like from a different planet maybe we should broaden our scope instead of narrow our scope right mm-hmm. it's all there and, and of course this this gets very silly very quickly but I'm sure friends at home you can think of a time when this was true for you like right. you you know your partner was looking at real estate and you hadn't had to talk about whether this was search talk or straight talk. And you were like, what are you doing? Looking at $40 million houses, we cannot afford that. Well, and there, that's very easy to shift from straight talk to control talk. Oh, sure. You oh, know? oh, I've been, oh, I've been controlly about the $40 million houses. You're going to get done with this podcast and walk out and be like, hey, I'm sorry about all this control talk. And he's going to be like, what? What do you mean? (laughs) What are you doing in there? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But it makes sense because if you're moving from straight talk, someone else's search talk can very, it's very easy for that to feel once it goes through your sort of interpretation filter, like, Mm -hmm. well, this is all sort of like amorphous and there's no direction 
Mm-hmm. We're not getting anywhere. Who will guide us? Who will lead us? I'm the one engaging in straight talk. I guess I will guide us. Mm-hmm. And guiding plus frustration is going to bring you right to control talk down. Right. And you know what? Then you wind up with a refrigerator neither one of you wants. Right. You know, then late at night, Bucky goes to get a snack. He's kind of groggy. He rips the, you know, he <laughs> rips the door right off. Sam wakes up because it's loud. He thinks someone's attacking them. He comes downstairs out of bed. Bucky's standing there with the door in his hand. <laughs> and now they're right back to square one, which is now they need a new refrigerator, which our mentor Phil would probably be like, what a great opportunity for them. They can try again. <laughs> they can try again. <laughs> But they have limited resources because the Avengers Initiative doesn't give them combat pay. Inexplicably, everyone is being an Avenger for free. (laughs) Which, just as an aside, I feel like does a really nice job of highlighting that we as human beings, we like to do things. We like to co-create. We like to Mm -hmm. have projects. We often really care about each other. This idea that if our basic resources needs were met, that we would just lay around and do nothing, which like as an as an aside of an aside, it's laying around is great. We should be able to do more of it. But like mm-hmm. we would still do things if we had our basic yeah. resource needs met. You know, look at the Avengers. They're out there doing stuff all the time. Sadly, mm-hmm. they don't live in a post-capitalist utopia. So Sam's family almost loses their boat. We've gone so many places today. <laughs> you know what's delightful is the last ep, we like stayed on the Disney Pixar movie Soul. We, we did, did not stray. Mm-mm. Not enough. Nay, another <laughs> fandom was approached. But today, it's fandom willy nilly. And I think that's because, <laughs> I mean, Rick and Morty very much invites mm-hmm. a multiverse view. It totally does. That's a great point. Where where mm. any and all universes can exist in in the same place. Like vampires you know? in the Tiny Rick couples therapy episode where like part of <laughs> it's not even like a B plot. It's just happening off screen where mm-hmm. there's like vampires at the high school. Oh, right. And then they take out and Morty has that line of like, who could have guessed that Coach Ferratu was a vampire? <laughs> And then that gets a callback in a later episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it just, yeah, just fucking delightful. Totally delightful. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I think it, I think that's part of the appeal of the show is it's like, yeah. hey, whatever, whatever universe you live in, you're welcome here. Totally. It's, I mean... I mean, who knows? I don't want to speak for Dan and his own therapy experiences. Now I'm like, I hope Dan has had IFS. Um, but like it very much, it, it, like, it hits on one of those central tenets of IFS therapy, which is all parts are welcome. Mm-hmm. And in the Rick and Morty universe, it very much feels like all fans, all fandoms, all art, mm-hmm. all creative expression. God, yeah, bring it here. Let's play with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we might make fun of you, but we make fun of everybody. <laughs> That's true. You know, and like, be careful. Things can get pretty bloody. So, you know, be wary. Yeah, things can get pretty gross in here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. None more than, what was that a magical land that Beth played in as a child? The f- the Froofy. The Froofy land. Froofy land. Froofy land. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, lol. And her right. little friend that got stuck there. So and gross. So he things really took a turn. <laughs> and they just kept right on turning. Yeah. No, they did. They don't. They don't do something and then turn away quickly. No, it like, and in some ways it makes me think of like Greek tragedies because Greek tragedies mm. are, you know, very much it's in the title, right, friends? It's about all this like dark, twisted, you know, the primitive center of the collective unconscious back when we were arguably, well, we were struggling with self-awareness and doing all kinds of like really violent things like cannibalism. Um, and so like Rick and Morty is like, yeah, let's dive into the center, but make it funny. <laughs> so like they have the same oh, level of yeah. commitment that Sophocles did but with more humor and if there's one thing we've learned in our work it's mm -hmm. that humor goes a long way to get people to sit with uncomfortable truths it totally does which is why like and I suppose it's probably still out there but I will occasionally think of who knows who it came from but it's very old in the field of psychology and psychotherapy this idea that like mm -hmm. don't laugh with your clients uh, i don't just I... don't laugh if they're making you laugh then they're not engaging with their feelings and you shouldn't laugh with your clients and here's the thing is that true sometimes of course mm -hmm. but like I don't know. Like, I, well, I do know. I'm not the kind of therapist that if you make a joke, I'm just going to sit there and not laugh. Oh, God, that feels terrible. But therapists do. It. Like, there's, like, TikTok videos about it, too, where it's like, oh, I wanted to laugh, but then I didn't. And I'm like, why? And again, oh, I know should it's... should make TikTok videos. <laughs> like, I know it's an approach. And absolutely. Like, there have been times where like i it's i don't know i laugh but i i bring attention to the fact that like you know we're laughing at something right now mhm mm that there where there feels like there's another layer what's that about for us mhm mm but i make it co-creative cuz i just i don't want to leave somebody out there hanging on a limb laughing by themselves and i'm like leaning into this like therapist as an authority figure you know what it is i'm realizing it feels like it's potentially shamey that's fully what comes up for me there we go. Yeah, if I, well, because here's the thing: people who have experienced trauma are funny. That's how they learn to cope. Mm -hmm. And I, I get the philosophical stance of don't laugh with them. Sure, but that's attachment. Yeah, they're saying attach with me. Yeah, and you're saying. I will not attach with you in the way you choose to attach with me. You, I will only attach with you in the way I deem appropriate. And that's fucked up. Well, and it's that extreme and said in that way, absolutely. Because <laughs> here's the thing, we're not talking about like climbing into bed with our clients. Obviously, you don't no. do that. Prospective therapist listeners out there, you don't do that. Ever. Under any circumstances. Nope, not even if your patient is Lucifer Morningstar himself. That's right. And Lucifer Morningstar himself on that television show looks pretty great, but you still, you don't, you say no. <laughs> you hold to your therapeutic ethics, regardless of your licensure, it's in every single one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, laughter, one of the basic 
attachment building blocks? Mm hmm. Come on, friends. Come on, son. Come on, son. I just, yeah, I can't. I can't imagine. And, like, I have I ever laughed at something that the client didn't mean to be actually funny? Yeah, I've done that too. Oh, yeah. And you know what? That's that's an opportunity for repair. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Like, oh, I definitely thought you were making a joke right there. Like, no, I was serious. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. Sorry. I thought you were joking because you're so often joking. Mm hmm. And wow, what great information we just learned right there. Yeah. And you got, and you client got to practice how to like initiate an uncomfortable conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that one, that one wasn't a joke. Oh. Okay. Oh, I accidentally crossed a boundary. Okay. This does happen in daily life. We're practicing and learning. What do we do? You can mm -hmm. take the skill yeah. out with you outside of therapy. Great job telling me. Thank you for telling me. Yeah. And then sometimes they'll like they'll be that checking of like, did I hurt your feelings, therapist? And what another great opportunity? No, of course not. Mm -hmm. You get to tell me that this didn't fit yeah. or this didn't land. Mm -hmm. And then I get to step yeah. back, like on the other side of that boundary, apologize, and we get to do some repair. That's that's mm -hmm. the appropriate response. And what great I mean, how wonderful that this happened. Mm -hmm. And you get to practice this skill in here in this safe place. <sighs> Just thinking of pickle rip being like, I don't want to do this. This is awful. Dr. Wong was the best choice for them. Well, like for the family. Yes, for Rick himself, I feel like you'd need to be doing a lot of, like, in vivo exposure therapy. Rick is definitely an in-home family therapy client. Right, he's not going to come to the office. No, you'd need to get that, that liability um, insurance just, like, up to the nines <laughs> so you would be able to join him in his spaceship for his one hour a week. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's when you would be able to get him to open up. Yeah. It's like... It's like our, our old mentor, Phil, would take people for a walk. Mm -hmm. Well, usually young people, because yeah. they just, they're more open to talk if you're walking. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, with Rick, it would be, shall we go for a Zoom through outer space for our session? Right. And like, would he be trying to push boundaries left, right, and center? Absolutely. Would it be easier for you as the therapist if he was in your office to manage those boundaries? Absolutely. And this is why, if you're an in-home family therapist, you should be paid a fuck ton more because really, <laughs> you should only have like one or maybe three families on your caseload. Mm, that's, but that's not the world we live in. That sure is not. When I was an in-home family therapist, I did not have one family on my caseload. No, and and <laughs> often in-home family therapists are brand new baby therapists who are seeking yeah. their licensure. Mm -hmm. So they are the least. They're the least I, trained, least qualified. Doing the hardest work. Yes. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Our, hey. Spoilers, friends at home. Our industry has some big flaws. Uh-huh. It's got some things that we could all work on. Mm. And we do. We do. We do our, 
we do our part, but mm-hmm. it's but- a pretty entrenched system. It is. And, you know, the very best way, or not the very best way, but the thing that would be so, so helpful is universal health care that, of course, includes dental, eyes, and mental health. Mm. What a wonderful utopia you've just created. (laughs) I love, you know me, I love to like, you know, because now it's mid-afternoon, we've meditated on modernity. Now it's time to just (laughs) shift into utopian fantasies. Where we could all live our most caring, actualized lives. Uh, and I gotta say, uh, friends at home, you don't know this because it's a podcast, but uh, Spock, for her background today, chose a uh, a Clippy, <laughs> the <laughs> Clippy the clip art, uh-huh. um, and these, and there are these stairs, <laughs> and. Just through the whole thing. You know, I've been tracking and also every now and then I catch the stairs and the clippy and the there are the lo- these long reams of paper and it mm-hmm. does feel pretty surreal, <laughs> which I think is appropriate for our Rick and Morty conversation. Yes. But there's a part of me that's like, where do the stairs go? <laughs> I know. They're like an Escher Can Clippy leave? <laughs> Clippy's like, I'm trapped. this is not a dance (laughs) i think the other reason i chose clippy is clippy kind of reminds me of the saddest rick and morty character oh he is a little bit like mr poopy butthole mr poopy butthole and like i remember when you were like i want to talk about that and i was like i know i cannot rewatch that episode it's so so sad it's another episode that like really dives deep into attachment and what happens with disorganized attachment Mm. because mr poopy butthole is the only friend in the family's community who's nice to them i know and he's sorry for the good memories oh does does jay have a super emo of him I think so. And I think it is sorry for the good memories. And that's one where oh. I was like, I couldn't, I can't buy that one. It's I cannot. Too, too sad. Mm. Well, and this, I mean, we're, we've mentioned it, so we might as well at least like fill it out a little bit. This is, this is why when you, when you grow up in a household where there's all kinds of attachment wounding, even though once you get out of that, you want to have caring, loving relationships, you don't know how to do that. And so you may end up hurting the, your, your own Mr. Poopy butthole because, you, because like a trusting, caring relationship feels so new, so different that it also feels threatening initially. Yeah, and that's true. Or or inauthentic or unfun. Yes. Or, you know, I, I run into this a lot um, for folks who came up in any type of you know, troubled family dynamics with trying to attach to partners. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, they'll gravitate towards partners who feel familiar. You may remember our episode on uh, homeoerotic stasis. <laughs> With the vampire. Uh, if you tell- Another classic from the archives, friends. Another classic from 
<laughs> from the back catalog. Yeah, if you remember from the episode, uh, homeostasis and the vampire. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, it there's this phenomenon mm-hmm. in in human beings, homeostasis, where we gravitate towards that which feels familiar, even when that something doesn't serve us, and even especially when it harms us. And so, if we've come out of a family system like our dad is Rick, mm-hmm. um, we we're not gonna f- just automatically, like gravitate towards someone who is a is a secure attachment right that's not going to feel right no somebody who says what they mean and follows through on commitments Mm -hmm. and asks us to also follow through on our commitments no where trust is built slowly and over time no yeah, that's not going to feel like familiar or fun or something we can do nope and so lots of folks wind up in really volatile relationships mm-hmm. because it feels familiar. And often they're volatile in different ways than the family sure. of origin. Mm-hmm. You know, they're unpredictable in different ways than the family. Yeah. But like, oh, well, I, but I know how to cope with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with the person who wants to like talk authentically about wants, needs and feelings. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've had folks be like, I don't, this relationship feels boring. I don't know if there's a spark here and they'll describe yeah. the relationship. And I'm like, well, I can't tell you whether or not there's a spark, mm-hmm. but it sounds like what you're engaging in is really healthy boundaries with this new partner. And they're like, but it feels so boring. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Wait, that you're out. used to being on the super duper looper of a relationship. Yeah. I wait to the danger zone. <laughs> and this is, you know, this is more teacupsy. It doesn't mean it's not fulfilling. No. But it's probably not going to make you throw up. Well, unless you're sensitive to motion. Yeah, I mean, anything could make you throw up. <laughs> I was going to say, you and the teacups, that would not be a, a fun choice for you right now. I, d- I don't. Or really I don't ever. choose any rides. I choose no rides. No rides. You choose sitting on comfortable benches. And I like walking through things. Like at the yeah. Harry Potter world, you get to walk through attractions. That's, that's Oh, yeah. That's lovely. Immersive and lovely. And, a, mm-hmm. you know, a cold butterbeer on a hot day. Delightful. I mean, that's really all I want. I want us to all, like, dress up and walk through things <laughs> that, that aren't moving, though, to be clear. Hmm. Yeah, the days, of, the days of the corkscrew roller coaster, I think, are behind me. Can't even talk about it. I'm starting to get dizzy. <laughs> is what age does to you this is what happens all right um what are some things that we're hoping that people are going to walk out of here with today oh what a great question we talked about so many things uh to be fair we didn't have a specific like self-help idea that we wanted to get across we really just wanted to talk about rick and morty true um and through talking about rick and morty we've been able to to touch on a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I th- I think what I would love for folks to take away is 
to give yourself permission to, as always, take what works and leave the rest mm -hmm. in any of your fandoms. Yeah. Like, look as deep or as shallow as you want. And I don't mean shallow negatively. I mean, like, no. maybe you just want to dip a toe. Mm hmm And that's okay. You don't, you don't have to dissect these things the way no. that we do. No. But what I would say is, like, if you listen to this episode and you were like, wow, they're talking about all these things that, like, I didn't even realize were happening in Rick and Morty. Mm -hmm. And if now you have some curiosity about that, I would offer that you might want to do that kind of exploration with another human. Mm -hmm. Maybe a therapist, but maybe just a trusted friend. And I'm saying that because... If a lot of this felt new, though you are a Rick and Morty fan, what that says to me is that there are things in Rick and Morty that, like, are hitting pain points. Mm. Mm -hmm. And when we're looking at our own internal pain points, we often do need help. Yeah, and you get to ask for that help. And you also get to do it on your own timeline. Hmm. Yeah, there's no rush. Mm -mm. Rick and Morty aren't going anywhere. No. Absolutely not. Yeah. So what, what's some of the stuff that we wound up chatting <laughs> about today? We, were, we went all over town, which feels so appropriate for a Rick and Morty oh, episode. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man, we didn't even talk about how uh, Beth and Jerry went on a Titanic cruise. <laughs> God, I think I totally forgot about that. What season is that in? Uh, that's the season one finale when uh when the kids and Rick have a big party at the house. That's where oh, that's where right. Beth and Jerry are. They're on a Titanic cruise. Oh my god, that yep. That's all. There were a back. few moments. I'm just gonna <laughs> share this real quick. There were a few moments as I started watching Rick and Morty that I was like. Okay, I think I'm in. The, the first one was the episode with the dogs who become sentient, which we didn't even get into today. But um, that's another great episode. Another great. I was like, this is this is great. <laughs> I love this. And then the, the season one finale when Beth and Jerry go on a Titanic cruise. And I was like, this is they get me. I didn't think they would get me, but they do. You Unfortunately, love, it was the James Cameron fanfic. Oh, Titanic. sure. Not the proper Titanic, but still, I do appreciate it anyway. Yeah. yeah, you were part. You were seen for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, we talked about alcoholism, addiction, mm -hmm. attachment, internal family systems, and we dipped our toe into grief. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and we uh, we also talked about relationship enhancement training and styles of talk. Um. Yeah, homeostasis, yeah, uh, emotional exhaustion, and uh, compassion fatigue, although we didn't use that language. But, you know, the example of having to meet the Pickle Rick's energy. <laughs> the 25th Pickle Rick, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's um, some compassion fatigue. In terms of fandoms, we obviously talked about Rick and Morty, and we talked about so many others. I'll just name a few that are coming to mind. Titanic. Mm-hmm. Um, the... Clippy the clip art. The Clippy the clip art. <laughs> the Avengers. The Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm -hmm. 
DC Comics, the DC Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah, that's enough. I mean, we we name checked uh, Baby Sam Wilson Yoda. and Bucky Sam Barnes. Wilson, Bucky uh, Barnes, yeah, mm-hmm. from the what is it called? The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. There it is. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. Which delightful. Delightful. Ooh, before we totally wrap, we should probably give voice to the fact that this is our penultimate episode of season three, because we Uh have decided to give ourselves a break. As is our tradition. More or less. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we did it last year. Yes, we did. No, we didn't. Yes, we did. <laughs> we did not go on a break for 2020. We recorded straight through the pandemic. We t- didn't. We take some kind of break. Oh, no, we didn't. Yeah, we. Have... But that was still season three, wasn't it? I mean, well, right. But like, if we're talking about like, we always take a break in summer. <laughs> We do not need to belabor this point. <laughs> sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. This is probably the longest, one of the longest stretches of recording that we've done. Okay, great. Because, um, like, we talked about it, but then, like, because, right, the pandemic hit in March of 2020. So we had that summer, and we just, we kept on rolling. Wow. Huh. 2020 really was a, a blur, wasn't it? It was, as a friend recently put it to me, it feels like mush. Oh. But sad mush. Mush feels sad. It's true. That's a good point. I don't think of the word mush and be like, oh, joyful mush. Um, (laughs) At any rate, friends. (laughs) This is the penultimate app. We're going to be doing one more about what, I don't know, but it's going to be a fun surprise. It'll be a mystery box episode. Ooh, a and mystery then, box. Mm-hmm, and then we're going to take a bit of a hiatus um, mm-hmm. through mm, end of June, July, probably hopping back sometime end of August. Mm-hmm. Proper summer break. Mm-hmm. Like, because self care like is important. Kids. Yeah. And, you know, we're never gone. No. You always find us here on the pod or. Make your well, way through the back catalog. I'm about to say more about. That's right. Absolutely. All right. Well, why don't you take us take us home there, sir? We may be at the helm of this ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandicat-Dothy, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. You never need to say wubba-wubba-dub-dub. Join us next time for the season three finale. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the very best way that you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and especially review us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to tell your friends. Reminder that we are also available on Stitcher and Spotify. And just another reminder that our book, Starship Therapies, Using Therapeutic Fanfiction to Rewrite Your Life, is available at all of your favorite booksellers. So order yourself a copy, or two, or three, and share the news with your social networks. And once you read the book, please, if you enjoyed it, leave us a review on your favorite book site. It really helps us get out the word to other folks so that we can spread the fanfic love all around the globe. (laughs) And as always, friends, 
Live long and prosper. prosper.